Well, good morning, Sunridge. Uh, so good to see you. I just can't wait for us to be together in this building again. If you could feel this, uh, the few of us that are here raising our hands and pumping our fists, it's, what a great job, Ben. What a great uh, way to just get us going today. Um, Sunridge, whatever you're doing right now, just put it in the chat. Let us know where you are, who you're with. And this, this week, I want you to do something different. Like look for somebody that you don't know and give them a shout out in the chat. And then also take a minute and say hello to one of those names that you do know. Um, I do want to talk about uh, reopening. Uh, if you have not been checking your email, June 28th is our day, barring big changes from uh, the public health orders or whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that we could have gone about this. Um, but we decided with a, to do a limited reopening with our volunteers. And here's, here's the reason why that we did that. There's a few factors that contributed to that. Number one, you know, you could just imagine some of the safety procedures that we have to incorporate when we reopen. And it was... We thought it'd be simpler for us to do that and test our procedures with people that are already aware of some of the ways that we do things. That would be our volunteers. But also, we wanted to honor our volunteers. I'm just going to be straight with you about that. You know, when we started thinking about, like, how, you know, how, how does this work? You know, we've talked to so many churches about how they've reopened and how they've had to limit it. And, you know, it's like, is it dog eat dog? Is it first come, first serve? How do we do this? And so we thought, you know, these are the people that are with us week in and week out. And we thought we'd start with them. And, but there's another factor that really uh, pushed us over the edge on this is we really wanted to connect with the people that are going to help us reopen. Those are our volunteers. And uh, so what you won't see when we uh, start meeting or allowing 100 people to be here on Sunday morning is when we go offline, we're going to talk to our volunteers by department, and we're reorganizing or organizing uh, the surveys as they come in so that we can get depart whole departments here on certain Sundays so that we can address some of the specific things that they'll be a part of. You know, you think about it, just a couple of months ago, we were doing church and not even thinking about it, but the idea of reopening it's like there's so many factors to consider so we really want to get with our volunteers and talk about those so uh, if you're not currently a volunteer we know that you guys are like you're engaged in the community so many of you you serve in ways that aren't on our radar and there's no way that we're trying to like exclude anybody we're just trying to do this in a in a way that's decent and in order and and that we feel that we can do the very best thing for our church. Um, now, a survey is gonna come up on, in the chat, and if you haven't taken it, please take it, whether you're a volunteer or not. That's super important to us because, what, one, we're trying to survey all of our volunteers, obviously, and find out what their numbers are in terms of family, who will be coming with them, what Sundays that they'll be available. But even if you're not a volunteer, we want you to fill that out. Uh, because we are going to make space available because not everyone's going to want to come back right away and we totally get that and if we have space we want you uh, to be able to come if you so desire so do that survey um, try not to do it right while I'm talking uh, I guess you guys could uh, multitask but anyway that's the uh, preliminary stuff for today you know you guys, I know I'm not telling you anything you haven't thought of, but we are living in just crazy times. This is crazy town right now. And just think back with me a couple of months ago. Man, the Rolodex has spun. 
There's been so many events that have happened, but if you just go back to like where we were just a couple of months ago, your 401k was intact. It was doing great. Um, some of you were making summer vacation plans. Uh, I know somebody that was getting ready to open a restaurant in May uh, over uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, you, some of you are opening a business. You were going to go to school. You were going to graduate. Uh, you might have been a part of a church that had just recently renovated their worship center and was going to put up a cross and was about to tackle a really big policy change. And then COVID. And then Floyd and Arbery and Cooper. And then riots and police brutality and unrest and shouts for justice and black lives matters and there is no racism or there's racism everywhere. We've been through a lot, haven't we? It feels like the world is out of control. And if you just add to that the normal life, I've just hit like the the social issues that are going on, but in the middle of all of that, many of us are just living life, the typical struggles of fussing at home and trying to raise our kids and trying to make the rent. It's like it's just, life has been a challenge. And in the middle of all this, there's plenty of people that are telling us what they know about this period. There are experts and, of course, cable news and pundits and politicians, and they're giving us statistics and modeling and predictions, and we're being told the new normal is going to look like this, or no, it won't. And in the middle of all that are conspiracy theories and not conspiracy theories, and it's like, how do I process all of this? What's going to happen The truth is, nobody really knows, right? But if you know, put that in the chat right now. Just say, I know. I know what's going to happen because we need you, and we'll look you up. You know, experts say that we can control about 15% of our life. So what do we do with the remaining 85%? Last week, Jed and Lisa uh, spoke together, and they, t- and they wrapped up the series we called God Is, where we're looking at the character and nature of our creator. And their title was God Is Sending Us. And I don't know if it caught you kind of like, like flat-footed, but where they took this was just so fantastic. They, they discussed the idea that God is often sending us into the wilderness, And he talked about how the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And I think that's that's a great thought to think about. How do we live life when it feels like we're in that place that we cannot control? And, And to process the thought that it's possible that God intentionally sent us to that place. We call that the wilderness. The wilderness to us is when you're not where you were, but not yet where you're going or hope to be. It's the space between what was and what will be. 
And it always seems harder and takes longer than we think it should. Can you relate to that? The thing is about the wilderness is that the wilderness is often the place where God does his best work. In fact, what happens in the wilderness doesn't stay in the wilderness. But what I mean by that is that God does things in our lives and in our hearts and he changes us and he changes the way we think and he changes our character in the wilderness in ways that he cannot do, it seems, when we're just kind of on autopilot. You know, the children of Israel knew a little bit about the wilderness, if you know their story. They, they had escaped Egypt, they're no longer slaves there, but they had not arrived in the promised land. So they were freed from slavery, but you know that they didn't just go to the promised land. They ended up in the wilderness. There's a few observations about that I'd like to point out. One, that I want you to see that God sent them the long way to the promised land. He put them in the wilderness. In Exodus 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. You feel like that? You feel like you're on the longer road right now? For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. So what this little snippet from Exodus tells us is that God intentionally put them on this path. You know, I'm not an expert on geography in that area or anything, but like I'm told and I've read that the shortest route that they could have traveled would, been, would have taken them 11 days. And, but the way that God sent them was about a, should be about a two-year trek. But you know it took them 40 years. God sent them on the long way. Why? Well, he did that because they thought they were ready for the next thing, but they weren't. You guys, you have kids at home, and you give them chores, and then they come when they're done, and they want to go play or go be with their friends, and... They say, I'm all done, and then you go and check on it, and they're not all done, right? You have to say, no, you're not done yet. In some ways, we never outgrow that because we often think that we're ready for the next thing when we're not. I, you know, how many of you feel like, I wonder, you know, we're going to be able to look at your chat, but some of you knew the answer. You know how this is going to add up. I'm, obviously, I'm being facetious, but you know, can't you find yourself in that mental space where like, I know it all? Like I've got it all down and if someone would just listen to me. I know like, I mean, how long do you have to be married before you totally have each other figured out so that you never ever argue needlessly, right? Is it one year, two year? I don't know, I'm wondering because I'm married almost 42 years and I've not learned that yet. You ever find yourself thinking that you have the answer and then later realizing you really didn't? See, we want the shortest route, the most direct route to success, to ease, to control. We love this verse out of Jeremiah 
Chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And don't we often read that promise through the lens of success and ease and control? And we see that like God has a plan where everything's gonna come together and it will be so easy and so peaceful and I'll be so successful and I'll be so at rest. But what if his perfect plan for us included sending us into the wilderness so we could learn some things that we could not learn otherwise? See, we often think we're ready for the next thing when we're not, and that was true of the children of Israel. See, they needed to learn a new way of living. Think about it, they'd been slaves for 400 years. So every moment for them was planned out. They didn't make decisions about their lives. Those decisions were made for them. They were dictated to them. And when they crossed the Red Sea and stepped out into the desert, they no longer have those boundaries. They no longer have that control over them. They have complete freedom. Can you imagine how wonderful that felt and yet how much anxiety must have been in them? You see, there's a lot to learn about living in freedom. Does freedom mean, oh, I can just do whatever I want? So, in a life where everything was planned, now they step into a wilderness where nothing is planned. And they have to figure it out. So how does God lead them in that point? In this part of their history, in, in Exodus 13, 20, we see, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert, and by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. In this new space of freedom, placed out into the wilderness where there are no boundaries, God leads them by his presence. And I've been to Washington, D.C. two times in my life. One time I went with friends and we got a map and we planned what we were going to do. And another time when my youngest daughter, Aubrey, was in eighth grade, I traveled to DC with her, with her eighth grade class. And we had a guide the whole time. It's very different traveling with a map or with a guide. And I want you to notice here that God did not guide the children of Israel with a map or a schedule, which often would be our preference because then we have control over it, right? See, having a guide is a much different experience than having a map and a schedule. When you have a map, the responsibility is on you to make decisions. When you have a guide, you relax, you, you ride on the bus, you listen. When you have a map, that very next step is up to you, but when you have a guide, the guide has it all planned out for you and notes things along the way that you would never notice. When you have a map, it's up to you to read and discover and pass that on to everyone that you're traveling with, but when you have a guide, the guide fills in all the blanks for you. Who, who has the stress? 
when you have a map? Who's in control when you have a map? You know, this idea of God guiding us day by day is, is really something that's uniquely Christian. So if you're not a Christian, listen to me for just a second here, that when, when you become a Christian, what you're saying is, I've directed my life, and I've been in control of these things, or culture has forced me into these things, but like, I want a different way of living my life. I want to be a new creation, as Paul says it, and have a new identity, and have a new way of living. That's how it's described in the Gospels. To follow Jesus is to live in a way that we're guided by God's presence in our lives. So if you're wondering about being a Christian, it really, you know, you won't really want to be a Christian, I don't think, until you become dissatisfied with your own mapping. And you're ready and willing to say, you know, I would rather the creator of the world, the God who is, direct me, especially in this time of wilderness. You see, in the wilderness, we learn to be guided by God's presence. That's true of us who call ourselves Christians as well. I mean, for a lot of us, isn't it true that the wilderness is the only place that we can learn some things? Now, obviously, we don't have an actual cloud or fire to guide us. So what does that mean today? And this is the last part in your notes. Being guided by God's presence today, I think, means, number one, relinquishing control. See, having a guide is a superior way to travel if you have a reliable guide, right? But it does require that we relinquish control. We don't, we don't direct the guide. We don't go up to the guide on the bus and say, you know, I really think that you should do this or that. I mean, maybe some of us would, but just that would be inappropriate. Um, we, we let go of our control, which is kind of like, let me give you a little secret. We never really had control. Yesterday, I had such a great day with a group of friends uh, we had our own bro day, and um, it was put together by a friend of mine, Matthew Owens, and uh, so he was our guide for the day down at the beach. We, we knew what we were going to do throughout the day. We, we were to meet at 6 a.m., and we were going to surf, so uh, we did dawn patrol, and then after that, uh, we drank coffee. This was all on our schedule. And then, then we went and got donuts and breakfast burritos. We doubled down on that. And then we came back and we chilled for a little while. And then we just went down to the beach and hung out for a while. And then we came back up and lunch was planned. And we had a turkey bar and, it, and all the food was there. We just like made our own sandwiches. And um, then we chilled a little more. And then pickleball was on the schedule. If you've never played pickleball, you should learn how to play pickleball. And we just had a ball playing. And then we chilled for a little longer, a little while longer, and then there was tacos. So I have to tell you, like, if somebody just said, hey, here's your Saturday, Britt. Do, you know, what are you going to do? I would have planned maybe some of those things. But, like, can I tell you, like, how wonderful it was to relinquish control and know that my guide, Matthew Owens, had my day planned for me. 
and just to enjoy it with friends. I think that's what it's like to be guided by God's presence. James writes in uh, chapter four, verse 13 of his letter, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to do this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, we can over-spiritualize this, right? But isn't the point of what James is saying here is that there's a humility in acknowledging that my plan may not be God's plan. Remember, one of the first qualities of God that we looked at in our series, God Is, is that God is in control which means that we're not. And I think the wilderness amplifies that for us. It makes us see that we're not in control. So when we recognize that, why do we go to the mat with God to try to wrestle back control? You ever use the phrase, cry uncle? Is that, do, do people still do that? Cry uncle for anyone under... 63 is, um, it's like you give up. Your dad has you in a headlock. Your brother, your big brother has you pinned down and you say, uncle, and you get loose. They let you, well, not if it's your big brother. Maybe your dad does. Maybe we should just cry uncle when we realize that God is guiding us and we don't have control. Another way to be guided by God's presence is to see the journey as more important than the destination. You know, my, my perfect vacation is a short travel time to the fun time. And for me, vacation doesn't start till I'm at the vacation. So like if it involves, involves flying or driving, it's like it's not vacation yet. And other people like from the like a week before vacation, they're already in vacation mode. And then, you know, when they travel, they're all chill and like just relax because they're already in vacation mode. I'm not like that. It's like, I just want to get to where I'm going so that I can have my vacation. And I think there's a lesson in that, at least for me, that traveling in the wilderness isn't just about where I'm headed, where I want to be or getting loose from what I'm in. There's something in the journey that God wants to do. And God isn't hiding things or delaying things in that period. He's not punishing us. He, he's teaching us. Nehemiah, when he reflects on this time in the nation of Israel's history in chapter 9, verse 19, he says, it was because of your great compassion you did not abandon them in the desert. And by, by the day, pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. Nehemiah says that this period in the wilderness was guided by God's compassion for his people. And he didn't abandon them during that time. He was guiding them. I have a friend that his own testimony is that he, he spent 30 years in the corporate world and was crushing it. And he would, 
he would have told you that he believed in everything that was part of that, that if you, you do this, this happens. And, and he experienced all the success of climbing that ladder that happens. And then one day he got slapped by corporate America. And in that same period, he, he got cut loose from an executive position and his dog died. And he had a hernia and then he tore his bicep. And he can just tell you about six months of this year of what this was like for him. And he's written to me and said that it was the worst year, but the best year. You get that? When, when you see the journey as being something that God is in, not just the destination, you can embrace that. Because who we are is more important than where we are. We prize success and power and influence. But God values who we are far more than those things. And he is guiding us today in this wilderness time. And he is teaching us. He's not just trying to get us somewhere. He's forming our character to become like Jesus. The question is, are we, are we allowing him to do that? Another part of being guided by God's presence is to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And I have to tell you, as a former Baptist, I'm a little uncomfortable with that part. But for the disciples of Jesus, they were, you know, they were in Jesus' presence day after day, three years of his ministry. In John 6, 68, Jesus is talking to Peter and like kind of challenging his presuppositions and whether he really wants to follow him and, and the others. And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like we have no place else to go but to keep our wagon hitched to you, Jesus. And when I read that, I see this determination in Peter and, and his compatriots who are trying to follow Jesus, but I also sense a desperation in that, that I'm linked to you, Jesus, and I got nothing else. Then, when Jesus starts to tell his disciples about how he will leave them, they're in kind of panic mode, and, but he promises them in that moment the Holy Spirit. And he says in John 14, 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So in other words, Jesus is saying, like, I'm with you now, but I'm sending my Holy Spirit. And honestly, Christians, we don't think enough about this. We don't think enough about the presence of God. We're being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that's not just a point of theology. It is a way of living and a way of, of it's a perspective. It's a filter to look at life through that I have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit guides me. I do all the spiritual work of seeking God. I read my Bible. I contemplate. I pray. I incorporate spiritual disciplines in my life so that Christ can be the one that I follow. But, but relying on the Holy Spirit is much like being led dead by, day by day by a cloud and fire. 
you know, we get to choose our guide. We can choose our cable news or our favorite politicians or our pundits, or we can choose the, present of Christ, the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit in us. You know, I, sometimes I just get down to like thinking super practical, that's how my brain is wired, and I, and I ask myself, how do I cut through all the baloney? How do, I, how do I get down to what is really important? And for me, being guided by the Holy Spirit really comes down to, can I picture myself following Jesus in this? You know, Jesus talked in John 15 about how he is the true vine and we are the branches. And you can just see that picture, how we're, we're connected to him in a way that we cannot survive without him. That's the way, that's my perspective of being led by the Holy Spirit. I'm so linked to what Christ is doing in my life. And I'm so wanting to reflect who he is that the Holy Spirit can lead me in that moment. The question is, am I being guided by the Holy Spirit? Is he my guide? Or are there other things that have a louder voice in my life? Being guided by God's, God's presence also means listening to people. I know that seems contradictory sometimes because we can think the opposite. We can think, well, it's just me and God and so there's no compromise. I don't need to listen to those in my life. I'm, you know, following God. And sometimes that is true. But in, uh, in Micah 6.4, we have again a prophet reflecting upon what God did in the children of Israel's wilderness experience. And he says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. And I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. Do you see that? We know that Exodus tells us that the children of Israel were being led by a pillar of fire and, um, and, a, and a cloud. I got that backwards, didn't I? Never mind. We can't cut that out. You know what I'm talking about. You know, I just want to say that Miriam is one of those listed as a leader. But bigger than that in this moment is that the prophet Micah acknowledges that people are also leading. One of the things that we've done during this period is we've talked about how God is in his people. When we were going through the series, God is. And if you have not watched those stories on Instagram, you should watch them. Because if we really believe that, if we believe that God is in his people, then this is a time to listen. Did you get that? This is a time to listen. James tells us that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. Are we listening to each other or are we just lobbing bombs? Sometimes I picture the way the big issues of our world are being discussed today. It's like there's two forts and there's just lobbing bombs back and forth. Does it ever feel like that to you? It's like, and no one is listening? Or in other ways, in another image I picture like us just silencing every voice that doesn't agree with my voice. Here's the thing that is sad about that. I mean, there's so many levels. 
that contribute to this, but like, you know, when we don't listen, we cannot learn from one another's experience. And you know, Paul t often talks about how the church is made up of diverse people. We come from different experiences. That's, that's part of what forms us. And when we don't listen to each other, we're, we are neglecting other people's experience and assuming that everything is like it's, we look through this filter that it's just me. And only my experience can be true. And when someone else shares, well, that's not my experience. We, we immediately discount that by saying, no, that's not true. It, you, know, we can't, you know, we may not agree on the answer. We may not even agree on what is essentially the problem. But the one thing that we, we have to embrace is that people have a different experience than us. Last Sunday afternoon, I met with as many police officers as could make, make a meeting with me. And I just sat with them and I asked them, you know, like, what are you experiencing? And how can I be a good pastor to you? And I heard them tell their stories. And you know, I've, I've been around police officers my whole life. I have good friends that are police officers. Um, I responded with them in a career, but um, I've never been a police officer and I heard some really powerful experiences. And when I listened to those uh, men and women, it just made me think, I need to pray for them because their job is hard. And then I've had conversations with uh, some of my friends and family who are of color. And they have a totally different experience. I have, I have a son-in-law who is black and um, because he's in my family and we get lots of time together, we, we get to talk about things that I just wouldn't normally get to talk about. And his experiences are totally different than mine. You know, over the last couple of weeks, he's in business and he travels and he, um, in the state of California, he, he visited one of his clients and this client has uh, the TV on and the news and there's the protesting and this owner of this business starts to talk to my son-in-law and he's using all these racial slurs and he uses the N-word in this conversation. And my son-in-law is just looking at him and he, he didn't know what to say. I think, you know, I, I think I knew what he wanted to do. Uh, and he just said, you know, I'm going to leave. And, I, and what this person said to him was like, no, no, no. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm not talking about you. You're different than them. And he left. And gladly, I was glad to hear the owner of the company called that person up and said, you'll have to find your product somewhere else. So good for him. But he also has had many conversations with people that are calling him and asking him for his advice. And you know what he said to me? He says, I'm, and he's probably watching. Donovan, shout out to you. Um, he said, I'm just, I, I guess I've just grown weary of being everybody's black friend and trying to answer for everybody. And the thing they expressed to me is like, I feel exhaustion. 
because he's in so many conversations. That's, that's his experience. Maybe you're feeling exhaustion from all of this. Can I tell you something? No matter what your experience is, we have to listen to each other. And even if we get tired, yeah, take a break. But you know, Paul said, don't grow weary in doing good. This is, this is a time where changes are going to happen. I believe that. And Christians should be at the forefront of it. And you say like, well, what can I do? You can listen. Put that in the chat right now. I can listen. And I think that that might be a key answer for this nation to be healed. We can listen to people. And God leads us through that. The last thing that I think is involved in being guided by God's presence is this, that it means to plan well, but leave the outcomes to God. You know what I mean by that? Um, I love this quote from Dwight Eisenhower. He said, in preparing for battle, I've always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. You see, being led by God's presence doesn't mean that it, it's not a, a license to be irresponsible. It doesn't mean don't make plans. It does mean to make plans, but to always be flexible because it's wise to plan. And I come from a career where we planned everything to the nth degree. There was a way to do everything. And then when we were on an emergency incident, there was the plan and then the backup plan and then the backup plan to the backup plan. That's how we operated. And, you know, at Sunridge, we have plans. We have a strategic plan and we operate from that um, year in and year out, and yet we change it every year. You know that? We sit down and we look at that and we go, okay, where are we today? You probably do the same thing. You make plans, you make career plans, you make plans to go to college, what you're gonna do out of high school, whether you're gonna start a business or stay in your career and work for somebody else. You make plans as a parent for your children. You make plans for your family. We make these plans, but as Corey Tenboom once said, it's like, I've learned to hold things loosely because it hurts when God pries things out of my hand. It's like, we hold those things humbly and loosely because we can get so committed to what our plan is that we miss what God wants for us. We're gonna see a little bit of that next week when we go on with this series called Wilderness. But look at this verse out of Proverbs 16:9. It says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. You get that? It's like we, we make our plans, but in the end, if we believe that God is in control, God must be in control. And if God's plan is in conflict with our plan, whose plan should win out? Last week when I was talking to a group of police officers, there's one particular officer that's of rank, has been in police work for over 30 years, and we had some younger police officers who were talking about the things that they've experienced. And this, this guy was just the wise old sage in many ways and like brought real truth and like perspective to um, the men and women who wear blue from our church. And, and he said this, it's like one of the things that I really have relied on my whole life and he's been through every riot period and in, in what we would know in our lifetime um, 
He's been through all kinds of unrest and he's seen discrimination. And he said, you know, like at a certain point, I have to, I have to step back and say, you know, this is bigger than me. This is much bigger than what, what I can control. So I have to step back and go, God is in control. So if he is in control, it's, he, he wasn't saying like, I have nothing to do with this, but he did say like, this is my area that God has called me to change. I mean, when we talk about a worldwide pandemic, when we talk about racial bias and racism, like there's no one of us listening right now, certainly not me, that is going to change everything. But God has us in a place where we can change some things. And we can make plans to do that. But the entire time we have to hold that loosely and realize that God is going to work. And he's going he's to show me the next step for me, which may not be the next step for you. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want to wrap up with two thoughts. One is, you know, we can be Christian and not led by God's presence. Be, being of faith is not the same as walking by faith, right? And you don't have to look very far in your New Testament to see that there were people who were religious, people that were devout, that were missing everything that Jesus was saying. We think about the Pharisees or the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, you know, like, I, how, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus tells him and he walks away. I mean, uh, there are experts, people who studied the law and came to Jesus and said, like, what's the greatest commandment? People are constantly questioning devout religious people who really, in the end, were not being led by God's presence. That should not be us. And the other thing that stands out to me in this time is that, you know, when you have a trial this big, there's, there's like a common ground that we all have. But we all have our individual trial in this, and we're experiencing it differently. You know, that oftentimes when, you've, when you're in the wilderness, you think that you're all alone. But, you know, the story of the children of Israel is they were in the wilderness together. And yet, each of them had their own little conflicts. They went back to their tent. They had their issues. They had their different situations. But they shared this common wilderness experience. You know, Sunridge, people that are listening to me right now, you're an American. You're a Californian. You live in this valley. We have a commonness in this wilderness time. We're not alone. We're in this together. So let's do it together. Together we can be led by God's presence in this wilderness moment. Let's pray and then uh, the band's gonna sing, right?